these people, you can sit down, thank you. These people prepare our teens to do what they did today and uh, just to prepare them for life. And we're very thankful for your ministry. So here we are at graduation day. What a great day. What a great day. And I know you, you graduates have waited a long time for it. Just a really long time you have waited. And what a day it is because today and, and this season now, you step out of everything that you know into new things. Some of you will be leaving for college, which means you'll have to get new friends and find a new church and just get all new setup of classes and all that. Some of you will be stepping into, into jobs. For some, it's just a temporary job. You may, you may go from Chick-fil-A to Lowe's and back to Chick-fil-A and that's okay, right? For some of you, it'll be stepping maybe into what might wind up being a career. And all of those things mean new. It's new stuff. It, you may have to move away, and again, you, you'll need to find a church if you do that. Uh, you'll have to figure out how to live on a budget and how to figure out your own finances, and so many new things are in your lap, and it's so exciting. But there's something about, about stepping into this new phase of life that I wanna tell you. There will be a lot of waiting if there is anything that every one of us in this room has in common, it's that we wait, and we wait, and we wait. There's always something else out there that we wait for, and we, we look for, and we, we wait for it. And you know, teens, right now, you're, you're at a place where you're having to make a decision about the rest of your life, and we kind of put this pressure on you, like, this is what you need to do, figure out what you're gonna do, and it's going to change, and it's really okay. But so much of that, as you progress through your life, will be waiting for what's next. Not knowing, but waiting for what's next. Waiting is such an important part of life, and it's what we're going to see that King Saul was not able to do as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. So you can look in your Bibles at 1 Samuel chapter 13. As you're turning there, though, you can, I want to just give you a little, little background here. So you remember that Samuel was the prophet, priest, and judge of Israel. And so he led the Israelites, and, and so, so they had a relationship with God. And he was leading them in a time of peace, and it was a, just a beautiful thing. But the Israelites said, we've had enough of this. We want a king. We want a great king, a king that looks like all the other nations. And so they got Saul. And Saul was everything a king needed to be. He was tall, dark, and handsome. I can make a comment about our own current leadership, right? right? Because it's, you know, 3,000 years ago, they had the same problem, right? The same problem. Their leader wasn't qualified necessarily to be a leader. And, and so we, you know, we, we vote in people that aren't necessarily what the nation needs because we look at the wrong things. And that's what happened really with Israel. It's not so different, even though it's in a very distant time. And so, you know, I wanna back up though about Saul. So in chapter 11, he had a great victory. The Lord led him in a great victory over the Ammonites who were oppressing part of the Israelites. 
And then in chapter 12, Samuel coronated Saul as king, and he urged the Israelites, he said, follow your king as he follows the Lord, because that's how it was supposed to be. You see, the king is supposed to be God's representative on earth. He follows the Lord, and then the people follow their king. And that's what Saul was supposed to be. But in the next few chapters, beginning in 13, and then from now on in the rest of the book, we are going to see a spiral downward in the life of Saul. He goes from a man who has a great victory and who is obedient, and he declines into eventually into insanity is really where he goes with this. The role that he is called to, the role to be God's representative, he could never really fulfill. And so as a result of that, Israel becomes lost in in following him. And the problem with Saul is that he never learned how to wait. And today we're gonna look at the first of that. Graduates, your life is gonna be full of waiting waiting for the spouse, waiting for the grade, waiting for the child, waiting for the SAT score, waiting for many, many things. And some of the things you may never even get. You'll spend your life waiting. Learning how to wait in a godly way is one of the key elements of living your life. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 13 together. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. Now just stay on that slide for a second. I wanna make a note here. Can you go back to that slide? Oh, you are there, there you go. Uh, uh, I wanna make a note here. Some of your Bibles will say Saul was 40 years old when he became king and then he reigned for 30 or 30 and then 40. So here's what happened. You understand, we do not have the original written documents of our scriptures. What we have is copies. Well, somewhere along the line, the numbers here in the copies got confused and they're actually missing. Whether that was an intentional thing or was unintentional, they're actually missing. And so your Bible editors have taken an interpretive choice to put in whatever number they have put there. It literally reads something like, Saul lived year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two, there's a blank, and then two years over Israel, and he chose 3,000 men. So a little confusion, but that's on the translations, the copies, not in the original. Okay, the original, we believe, of course, had the correct numbers there. Why wouldn't it? Let's go on to the next slide. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. Now I'm going to say something here in this passage. You're going to see Gibeah and Geba. They are the same place. It's the the name of the same place, Gibeah and Geba. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba. So the Philistines who were oppressing the Israelites at this time had a garrison at Geba. And Jonathan took his 1,000 men and went and attacked them. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison. Wait a minute, who defeated the garrison? Jonathan had, but Saul's taking credit for it. Maybe we can give him a little grace and say, well, they're all part of his army, so maybe he did it. 
So that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. So what happened, Saul retreated from Michmash to Gilgal, which is more toward the Jordan River. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000, some of your versions say 3,000, we have the same number issue here, chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up, let's go back, they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Aven. So the, the Philistines came where Saul was, that's why he retreated to Gilgal. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So they even went as far east as the Jordan and crossed the river to get away from the danger of the Philistine army. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he, will offer the, and he offered the burnt offerings. As soon as he had finished the burnt offering, so let me just make a note here. As soon as he had finished the burnt offering, he hadn't even gotten to the peace offering yet. Samuel came. So he really didn't wait that long for Samuel after all. But anyway, let's move on. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered in Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I, I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command, the Lord, uh, the Lord your God, and, w- which, and which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord had sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And then the next slide. Saul waited seven days. Big deal. Seven days. Some of you have been waiting seven years for an answer to prayer. Some of you have been waiting 70 years for an answer to prayer. Saul couldn't wait seven days. Seven days. But maybe we can understand his situation. So we have this huge Philistine army building up in Michmash. Now the Philistines had the latest in military technology. They had iron. The Israelites didn't have iron. The Philistines had iron. They had actually reinforced their chariots with iron. So they were, they were protected. The other thing is that the Philistines were, were so oppressing the Israelites that the Israelites were not allowed to have a blacksmith in their land. So if I was an Israelite and I needed my farm tool uh, sharpened, I had to go to the land of the Philistines in order to get it sharpened because they didn't allow blacksmiths in Israel. Well, that also meant that Israel had no weapons. 
The Bible says that the only two that had weapons were Jonathan and Saul were the only two who actually had spears. The rest of the Israelites had no weapons. Well, this is a pretty desperate situation. You have all these iron-clad chariots. You have the Israelites who have no weapons at all. And, and then the Israelites are hiding. They're hiding in, you know, they're so desperate, they're even hiding in caves. And some of them are just abandoned, even to, to go to another country across the Jordan. This really was a tough situation. And the longer Saul waited, the smaller his resources became. What a test of obedience. This was a test of obedience. Will he really be able to trust God with his safety and the safety of his nation? Is God really strong enough to defeat the enemy while Saul himself is so powerless at this point and his resources are basically gone? Is God actually stronger than the Philistines? Can God be trusted while he waits? In chapter 10, Saul was given the same command. He was told, wait seven days and Samuel will come and do the sacrifices. So he had the same command and he actually did it. Then Saul waited and Samuel came. But now at this point, the sacrifices were supposed to happen and he didn't wait quite long enough. Samuel didn't come exactly when he thought and so he went ahead. So he had even that, that, that question, will God really come through even though he had come through once before? He couldn't wait though. And he broke down and he performed the sacrifices. Now, so you know, the problem wasn't in the sacrifices, all right? We know this because later on, King David made the same sacrifices. And then later than that, King Solomon made the same sacrifices and neither of them were reprimanded by the Lord. So Saul was able to make these sacrifices. So what was the problem? The problem was his heart. He didn't wait on the Lord. He wasn't willing to wait. He took it on himself. So there are three main issues that we're going to look at today. Main issue number one is that he didn't trust God. Second, he thought that he could please God with an external act. And then third, he blamed others for his sins. So first, Saul didn't trust God. And waiting is hard. Waiting is always hard because it's about trust. Will Saul trust God? Will we trust God? The single person waiting for the right man, the right woman to come into his life. Will you trust God? The couple, the childless couple waiting for a child. Waiting for a fulfilling job or a fulfilling career. Waiting for physical intimacy until marriage. Waiting for college acceptance waiting for answers to prayer, waiting for financial independence, for some maybe waiting to die. And through all of that, the question is, is God enough while I wait? Is God enough? While I wait for a spouse, is God enough? While I wait for healing, is God enough? For a child, for physical intimacy, for the right job, for freedom, from my addiction, is God enough? Is he enough? Saul decided that he wasn't. Saul decided that he had waited too long and he was gonna take matters into his own hands. And in doing this, he perpetuated 
the original sin of our parents, Adam and Eve. Let's look at this. Take a quick look at how this works, the anatomy of sin. So what happens when we sin? Well, we have the tyranny of the urgent. Pressure comes from the outside, presses in on us and tells us something is needed. Our securities rise and our doubt rises and we we begin to, instead of relying on God, we begin to rely on ourselves. And then we take matters into our own hands. So let's think about this. Let's think about this for Adam and Eve. So there they were in the garden and you have this fruit, this beautiful fruit. And the serpent says, look at how delicious this is. You need this. You need, you really need this right now. You should take this. And it looks so good and the pressure comes from outside. And then the insecurity rises. Hmm, maybe God doesn't really love me the way he said he loved me because if he loved me, he wouldn't withhold anything from me. He would let me have that fruit. Look how delicious it looks. I think I need that. And then we take matters in our own hands and we eat the fruit. How about for Saul? Think about Saul. I mean, the thing about Saul, he was the right man at the right time in the right position. God had put him there. And there he was, and, and he had just had a time of obedience. He wait, had waited the seven days earlier, and, and Samuel showed up. He had a time of victory, and what was so beautiful about that victory is that when he got done with the victory over, over the Ammonites, he said, I didn't do it. God did the victory. He knew that God had won the victory for him. So the pressure, though, rises now because the, the Philistines are gathering strength while his army is decreasing. The pressure rises, and so he begins to think, hmm, maybe, maybe God really doesn't love us. Maybe God really isn't going to take care of us. Maybe God won't come through. Maybe he's not stronger than the Philistines like he was stronger than the Ammonites. Maybe I've lost favor with God and he's not going to bless me. And so he decides to take matters into his own hands and he makes the sacrifice. And you know, isn't that what we do? He made that sacrifice because he lost favor with God, or at least he thought he had, which leads us to our second point. He thought he could please God with outward actions. He said this in verse 12, he said, I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering, or or the version we read earlier said, I forced myself to make the offering. But the question I have for Saul is, well, why didn't you seek the Lord's favor? Why did you wait until all of a sudden, now I'll seek the Lord's favor and do some religious act? You see, and that's the problem, and and that's what we do. We say, well, gee, God might not be blessing me right now. I need something in my life, and I don't see God working. Maybe, maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe I'm not in favor with God, so I better get my life right. So we decide, I'm going to go to church more regularly. I'm going to give more, and I'm going to fast on Fridays for my marriage, or fast on Fridays so my kids come to the Lord, or I'm going to... uh, uh, just uh, read my Bible every day. You see, we turn to something religious when God is after what? The heart. God's after the heart. Now, you know, I say those things and none of those things is bad, right? Every single one of them is good. Should we read? Yeah, 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 we should, right? But God is always after the heart. 
He's after the heart. So grads, should you read your Bible? Yes, and God wants your heart. For singles, you should, commit, should you commit yourself to sexual purity? Yes, and God wants your heart. You who are suffering with illness, should you pray for healing? Yes, and God wants your heart. You who are waiting for restored marriage or restored relationship with your children, should you do things that are relationally healthy? Yes, and God wants your heart. God always wants your heart. You know, later on in chapter 15, God is going to say, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, he doesn't want your money. He wants your life. He doesn't want your religious acts. He wants your life. Now, are those things good? Yes, they're good, but not without your heart behind them. They are empty without your heart. If your heart is not in those acts, they are meaningless to God. And in fact, it brought on God's discipline to Saul. You see, sacrifice is the outward act but God is looking for the heart obedience. He wants our obedience to come from within. And then our obedience is beautiful to him. That's when it's the real gift to him. But the truth is Saul didn't want to obey. He didn't want this to be God's victory. He wanted it to be his victory. And when the odds were against him and he realized there was no way he could be victory, he wasn't willing to wait for God. And so he stepped ahead. And then, on top of all that, he blamed everyone else for it. He blamed others for his sin. Did you catch this in verse 11? He said, the men were scattering. You didn't come at the set time. And the Philistines, the enemy, is ready to attack. You see, it's all their fault. This wasn't my fault. It's theirs. It's the problem outside. And in doing this, Adam perpetuated, I'm sorry, Saul perpetuated Adam's original sin. Do you remember Adam's response when God finally confronted him? The woman you gave me made me do it. See, it was her fault, and not only hers, but your fault. It wasn't mine. You see, that just perpetuates. And Samuel coming to, to confront Saul in this was Saul's opportunity to confess and repent. He could have turned his heart right then and said, Samuel, you're right. I've done wrong. I confess my sin. And you know God would have been merciful to him. But instead, he, he uses this to deflect his responsibility. And he, he excuses his sin. And in doing so, he misses out on the blessing that God had planned for him all along. And that blessing was that he would have a lasting dynasty. What's so interesting about this is that Saul is able to finish out his rulership as king. It becomes a disaster, but he's able to finish it out. But his son Jonathan, who we will learn will be a great, would have been a great king, doesn't get to be king because of Saul's sin. Saul forfeited all of that because he couldn't wait just a little longer. And God tells Saul that he will forfeit his kingdom to a man who is after his own heart. And who is that? David, King David, right? We all know the man after God's own heart, right? But that term really has sort of a double meaning. It means both a man who is seeking God's heart, but it's also the man after God's choosing. You see, God is going to say, I no longer choose you, Saul. I am choosing David from now on. 
And the truth is that even David as king, as great of a king as he was, he's going to fail the waiting test, isn't he? He's going to fail because he's going to take another, another man's wife for his own. He's going to fail because then he tries to cover up that sin. He winds up murdering the husband so nobody will find out. And then, and then David lives with the results of that sin over and over for the rest of his life. So is David the man of God's choice? Well, yes, he is, but even he will fail as the king. Because you see, we really need a king who can deal with this problem of not being able to wait, the problem of sin. We don't just need a king to lead us militarily. We need a king who's gonna help us in our sin. So listen to this quote from Tim Chester. Israel's new start with a new king has floundered because the underlying unbelief and disobedience of humanity in Adam has not changed. We need a king who will not only rescue us from our enemies, but also from ourselves. We need a king who can take on sin and liberate us from our slavery to our sinful desires. We need a king who obeys God in all circumstances, not like Saul, not like David, a king who obeys God in all circumstances, even when put under the pressure of unfavorable circumstances. Saul is not that man, so his kingdom will not endure. It cannot. Instead, the Lord will give it to a man after his own heart. And that is an expression of God's choice. God is going to give the kingdom to a man of his own heart. And who is that man? It's Jesus Jesus is the man after God's own heart. He has God's heart because he is God. And he's the man who fully obeys God. And he's the man who can deal with our sin because he is God. And so we have Jesus who is the king that you and I need. Now next week we're going to, to, to go into, jump, uh, into chapter 14. And what we're going to see is that Jonathan really becomes a man of faith. Jonathan, Saul's son is going to rise up to become a man of faith. And we see the tragedy of the fact that he won't be able to become king because of Saul's sin. But all of these things point to Jesus, that it's Jesus who we need. So there's so much more, so much more that we could say about waiting. I wish I had a longer time to, to preach this morning. I wish we could do a whole sermon series on waiting because waiting is so important. The Bible is full of people who waited. Abraham and Sarah waited for a child. Noah waited 100 years for the flood. Jacob waited for his blessing. Esther waited for the king's edict. Zechariah in the New Testament waited to see if God would really bring them a child and waited for his voice to come back. Would it really happen? Waiting is so important. It's such a part of our life. And so what we understand about waiting is that when we wait, we feel like we're in limbo. But God doesn't see it that way. God sees the waiting as being very important. In fact, sometimes it's even more important than when we finally get the blessing that we've been waiting or praying for. God's interest in your waiting time is so important because you're gonna spend so much time. Graduates, you will spend most of your life waiting. You will wait and wait and wait. And sometimes, you will find what you're waiting for. And sometimes you won't. 
But know this, that, that the challenge in waiting is always trust. Will I trust God while I'm waiting? Or will I take things in my own hands? Will I decide I'm gonna do it my way because God's way isn't worth waiting for? Well, all of these Bible characters, and we have so many of those who didn't wait and paid the penalty for it, and some who did wait and reaped the benefits of it, you, we have their example. And then graduates around you is you know, 200 other people. And some of us have waited really well for things, and some of us haven't really waited very well. And some of us have done both. Like there are times in our lives when, oh yeah, I've been a great waiter. I'm gonna wait for God, I'm gonna hold out. And then there have been times in my life where I'm like, I'm not waiting, I'm moving ahead. And I pay the consequence for that. Graduates, learn to wait. Everybody else, learn to wait well. Why? Because God's worth the wait. Every person who waits on God is blessed. What's so interesting, when we look next week at Jonathan, he's a man who doesn't wait and moves ahead, but moves ahead in faith, and God blesses him. So it's two together. We have to know how to wait well, but then we also have to know how to act now in faith like Jonathan did, and we'll look at that next week. Come back, because you'll want to know the two. You can't live with one without the other, right? You need both. We must learn to wait well. Why? Because God is worth the wait. He is worth our trust. We can trust in him, in him for everything that we need while we are waiting. We're gonna close today and our benediction is going to be us reading together many verses in scripture about waiting. As you read this, I don't want you to just read it like, okay, we're reading scripture together. And we read, like, speak this verse into your life. Like as you read, you know, I will wait for the Lord. It's I will wait for the Lord. I will do it. So let's stand together now. And, and this is our benediction. When we're done with these verses, you may go. Let's read this together. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, I hope. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, so the soul who seeks him. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on the wicked when cut off. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Church, wait. Go and wait, 
wait for the Lord. Amen.